Hello there everyone and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. As usual you're here with myself Laz and my esteemed co-host Mr Felipe. Uh, we're currently in a hotel room at the moment doing uh, waiting for a gig tomorrow aren't we? Yeah. Come down over for overnight, going to go out with, uh, with the band and the roadies later for some drinks and a meal which should be nice. Um, but for now we're going to record another episode of the podcast and today we are focusing on a band that Felipe has chosen uh, called Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Right, tell so, us, yeah. Why don't you tell us about the three of them? Because those are names, by the way. That's not a band name that someone yeah. thought, well, that sounds good as a band name. Those are three. Let's <laughs> just three. pick some random names. Terry, <laughs> Shall we call yeah, ourselves Terry, Emerson, Lake, Lawrence, and Luke. <laughs> that, that's to be our band name. Yeah, no, tell us about Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Well, first of all, um, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, or ELP. ELP, like, yeah, yeah. That sounds more like a band, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does, yeah. Yeah, well, they are a prog rock band. I think some bands, they try to escape that label. They don't want to be called prog rock. It's a cautious label, yeah, isn't it? You're like, oh, you know, but we prog? with Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, you just can't get away from it. No. It is it is prog all the way. Uh, well, the interesting thing about them is Keith Emerson was a keyboard player, and uh, Greg Lake, bass player and singer, Carl Palmer, a drummer. So what's missing there? We Sounds don't have... to me like there's missing a crucial instrument in rock and roll, which is the guitar. Yes. And I will say to you, I would dare to say that the most important thing they've done for rock and roll is to be a rock band without a guitar player. We said in the first episode, and we will say it in every subsequent episode, think about all the episodes we've done before, um, Dire Straits, we talked about Mark Knopfler and his lack of solos, but the solos still came. We did Hendrix, we did Slash, we did Brian May with Queen, we did Zeppelin, and all the ones, I'm sure a lot of we do in the future will have some relevance to the guitar, but this does not have a guitar in it. No. It Fantastic. Doesn't. No, uh, and it's an interesting thing, though. Uh, I think Keith Emerson played... Uh, um, in a band before they couldn't find a guitar player or they lost a guitar player for some reason or whatever and he liked the way the band sounded uh, without a guitar and he thought you know what my next band's not going to have a guitar and Keith Emerson was in many occasions the, the leader of the band he was a virtuoso uh, piano player classical yeah. uh, classically trained yeah classically trained but also really good at jazz and everything else and it's like uh, you can't find too many keyboard players in rock and roll as good as him. I would say him, John Lord, and, and Rick Wakeman were mm. the top three keyboard players. As a reference, of, of course, there's loads of good guys out there, but yeah. they were like the guys who changed keyboard in rock and roll. They made they made the instrument yeah. as relevant as the guitar. We'll, we'll put a Rick Wakeman tune, a Deep Purple tune, uh, with John Lord in, um, into the Spotify playlist for this uh, for this episode. Um, but I want to kick off with a segment, actually. I want to do, oh, right. for Let's you, I want to do a quiz. How much does Felipe know about Emerson, Lake and Palmer? Or let's do ELP, because if we have to say it every time, it'll get quite long. So. Emerson, Lake and Palmer? Well, <laughs> Emerson, are Lake we Palmer. talking about Emerson, Lake and Palmer yeah. now? Are you going to ask me questions about Emerson, Lake right. and Palmer? I am. Here we go. Question one. How many roadies did they take on their 1977 tour? A, 54, B, 63, or C, 72? Which year was that? 1977. I'll go for the, the highest number. I'm 72? guessing. Yeah, 72. Wrong. They took 63 roadies wow, with them. It's still a lot. It's still a lot, a lot, isn't it? Was that the time when the piano was going upside down and stuff I like that? So, I think yeah. so, yeah. That's, that's 63 fees to pay. 
That's 63 mouths to feed every night. That's 63 hotel rooms to get. This is a big operation. It but it justifies it for where they were in that career. Oh, yeah, because they were uh, uh, really into the, the visuals and, yeah. and, and, you know, you know the, and the show yeah, exactly. itself, not just the music. Yeah. Uh, question two. I'm going to give you five different occupations. Three of these are people that came on as roadies. God. You've right. got to tell me which three did they bring with them on the tour. You're obsessed with the roadies now. I just you? found this stuff really interesting, to be honest. <laughs> okay. So, a karate instructor, a carpet cleaner, a comedian, a doctor, and a sushi chef. Three of those came on the road with them. Tell me which three. A karate instructor. Is that one of your guesses? Yeah. Correct. That is one of the three. Um... Can you repeat the other one? Yeah, so the other four. Carpet cleaner, comedian, sushi chef, doctor. Man, I'm going to go for the doctor and the comedian. Doctor is correct. Comedian is not. So you've got sushi chef and carpet cleaner. (laughs) God, that's so Emma's Lake Empowerment. Like, you're getting those guys on tour as roadies. (laughs) So you've got karate instructor and doctor correct. You've now got one more to get. Sushi chef or the carpet cleaner? Sushi chef. No. (laughs) Carpet cleaner. (laughs) One of them, I think it was Greg Lake, had a carpet under his stool every night. Every show, he had a carpet that he used to want to walk on because he liked the feel of it under his feet. So he brought a carpet cleaner along. Well, the correct correct instructor it. is Carl Palmer, isn't it? He was. Um, I feel like it was for Emerson, but you could be right. Oh, I'm right. not sure. But yeah, Carl one Palmer. of them. Maybe you're fun. right, yeah. yeah. Um, so a karate instructor, a carpet cleaner, and a doctor. God. As part of the 63 the road roadie crew, crew. yeah. God. Brilliant. Right, question three. Which two bands were on tour in 1969, which resulted in the creation of ELP? 1969? Yes. Is The Nice one of them? Yes. Got it. Um, so The Nice was Keith Emerson's main band at that time? At the time. And he had David O'Least on the guitar, which I had the pleasure to meet. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Um, the Nice. And who was the other? Oh. King Crimson. Well done. Yeah, yeah there you yeah, go. Well done. Got it. Excellent. Yeah, so the not nice doing that bad today. That's all right. Yeah. We'll give you, we'll give you one point for the for the job one because the, the carpet cleaner was kind of That's, tricky. I should have thought of it because I know Greg Lake was obsessed <laughs> with the carpet. Right. Um, so we'll give you, you yeah. have the mark for question two. Question four: Who was the first drummer Lake and Emerson approached for the band? Wait a minute, was it Mitch Mitchell? It was, yes. Wow. Fantastic, (laughs) I still remember. Question five. The press reported rumours of a planned supergroup called Help that was named after the initials of the band members E, Emerson, L, Lake, P, Palmer, but who was the H? Hendrix. Yes, yeah, really. Did you know that? <laughs> I do that. Fantastic. Yeah. So there, Help. they were what going to be. They would have been. God, can you imagine? <laughs> Hendrix, but, Emerson, Lake. I think what would have been fantastic <laughs> about it is that. Their music is so rigid and, in a sense, classical because of how, sort of, like I said, how rigid it is. Imagine what Hendrix would have brought to that with his wildness of the solos and his riffs. That would have been interesting, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would. But, again, I'll go back to what I think. It wouldn't be um, so much different in that sense. Like, they wouldn't bring so much innovation if they had the guitar playing. Yeah, again, yeah, well done. Yeah, good point. Um, question six. Which famous musician roadied for The Nice? Ooh. Don't know. I'm going to guess David Gilmour. No. Oh. It was Lemmy of Motorhead. And really? quick little fact. 
Lemmy gave Emerson a knife, and Emerson would use this knife on gigs to hold down piano keys when he wanted to go and play other synths. Yeah. So if he wanted to he hold a note, a, yeah. a if he wanted to hold a note in one of his keyboards, he'd stab it down, and then he'd move to his other keyboards and play the solos on the others. It was incredible. Uh, and final question. How many tons of equipment would they use on tour? 20, 30, or 40 tons? 30. 40. 40. 40 tons. But when you see the, the size of the hammond organ he uses and the speakers they brought with them, kind of well, justify Yeah, and that's, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> element of their music, isn't it? It's like they, they were totally into the, 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 the show, how the show's going to look. Yeah. You know, and it has to look big. But the only thing that mattered more than the look was the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, excellent. So, for those who don't know, uh, ELP is formed of three guys, as Felipe said Keith Emerson, who played keyboards and synths, Greg Lake, who played bass, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, and sang, and Carl Palmer, who played drums and percussion. Uh, they formed in 1970. Uh, like I said, in 1969, the Nice and King Crimson were on tour together. Emerson wanted to form a new band and Greg Lake wanted out of King Crimson. So they thought, brilliant, let's well, do this together. Exactly. <laughs> and um, in, in 1970, they released their first album, which was Emerson, Lake and Palmer, which has a number of your favourite songs on, doesn't it? Well, the first, quickly, I think... I'll just say quickly that Felipe is a big fan of ELP yeah. and he's known them for years. I don't know anything. I When he said, I want to record ELP... I went and all this week I've done my homework. So I discovered, discovered, I was recommended ELP this week and got into them, only started listening to and them. And how, how five are you days finding ago. them so far? I'm finding it really, really interesting because it's prog unlike any other prog I've heard. And what I mean by that is that I will talk about it more in a bit, but you can tell they all love classical music. Yeah. And I think the difference with other prog bands is they don't make it so obvious. They'll try and mix the technique and talent that they need for classical by writing rock solos or blues or jazz solos played over hard rock. ELP don't seem afraid to just say, hey, we love classical music. So we're going to... And this is what they did. The first few... I don't want to say the first few um, songs, but on each of their first few albums, they had songs that they named something else, but they were off. They, they were obviously, so much so that they would admit it, sections taken from pieces of classical music. Yeah. They used Bach all the time. They, the other composers that I'll talk about later that they used, they loved it. And it's like, well, in the classical world, I did speak on this on one of the episodes last year. In the classical world, it is okay to take passages of music from one composer and put it into another one. It was called quoting. Yeah. We spoke about it. I remember it was Zeppelin 2, and we said, well, Zeppelin have copied this song. But in classical music, you call it quoting. Bach has quoted Beethoven in this piece. And this is all they're doing here. Yeah. They're, they're quoting their favourite classical pieces, or they're playing those classical pieces using rock instruments. Exactly. So it's been really interesting, because I it's been a prog that I haven't found... Uh, parental guidance warning in music world prog is often bad prog music can often be referred to as wanky and that (laughs) means that people yeah wanky (laughs) prog because people some prog bands just love to solo and play as many notes as they can without any consideration for the music and as it would suggest we are say they are wanking over their guitar because they just play all these notes for the sake of it this yeah, has the wanky, yeah. The this Emerson ELP have the wanky effect, but I don't ever 
I don't ever listen to it and think, oh, they're just playing for the sake of it. There is always a musical basis on their songs, and that's what's impressed me. Exactly. Because if, if you are using your influence of classical music, there's loads of virtuoso uh, classical composers, yes. and obviously Keith Emerson was uh, into that kind of stuff. And I, I keep talking about him because... I think he was the leader in terms of composition, in terms of uh, the concept of what the band should be. Yeah. And if you think about it, said, well, they're playing classical music with rock instruments. Yeah, and the keyboard, isn't it like the perfect middle ground between classical and, and rock in terms of instruments? Yeah, because yeah, it's not, yeah. it's something between a piano or organ and a guitar yes yeah. it's like it, it can be as noisy as a guitar and that's one thing I, I believe they did really well they compensated for the lack of guitars by using the you know the Hammond organ the Moog and uh, and sometimes distorted bass if you listen to yeah. I think it's the Barbarians the first song of the first album you have a heavy distorted riff but it's not a guitar is it bass? It's the bass, yeah. So it's, it's, and, it, and, if, and if Keith Emerson wanted uh, another keyboard sound, it's just simple. Stab the key. Stab the key. <laughs> and that, the, there's, the, there's your fourth band that's, member. The that's knife. insane. Lemmy's yeah. Knife is the fourth band member <laughs> yeah. of ELP. I, I must, ELPK. Yeah. <laughs> ELP. <laughs> the knife. The knife was an important element. Yeah. But yeah, that was also part of the visual. He was like shaking the, the organ on stage as well. Like Yeah. If you should go and find it, find it on YouTube because he abused his Hammond organ to oh, the to, yeah. to, my goodness they and one of those 63 roadies was a guy who would fix the Hammond organ every night because no it's true <laughs> it's true he stabs. said it he would yeah not only the stabs but he would for, for those watching on video if this is the Hammond organ stood up he'd push it back he'd put it on one corner and twist it round like that because he's just nuts well <laughs> just it's, it's a visual thing as well isn't it yeah, it is. And I think he, the, the reason why they never uh, actually got together with Hendrix and they didn't have a guitar player is I think Keith Emerson wanted to be the star of the band. He didn't want yeah. to share solos with anyone. I think there's there's rumors that he was really vocal about that. So I That's don't want enough. anyone to share the solos. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the star of the band. Did so, Lake never solo or not? Did well, he not solo as often? Well, no, there's not, you know, there's no, pretty much no electric guitar. So uh, Greg Lake would record some electric guitar for some overdubs and some, yeah. some acoustic guitars, but always as a rhythm, uh, rhythmic never instrument. Never as a lead like, instrument. Never as a yeah. lead instrument. And his bass playing was quite simple comparing to what the other two guys were doing. Yes. I think Greg Lake was... Was uh, 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 the you know the glue really there to to make uh, Carl Palmer work with Keith Emerson because they both virtuosos and Greg Lake for me is is an awesome singer. Is I don't know man. I, if if I ever do my top five rock singers, he's gonna be there. Really? Yeah, That's good, yeah. I think it's such a clean uh, uh, yet powerful. No, he does. Voice. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of King Crimson. Oh, big fan. I like a few of their albums. In the Court of the Crimson King might be one of my. Top twenty albums, I and love you can that. hear like how Greg Lake yes. was already prepared to be a rock star, to be yeah. the lead singer in a band. And I think, I think the fact that he was probably for the band more a singer than a bass player means he could play uh, uh, consistent, solid like bass lines that kept the band together without making the bass 
uh, uh, you know, an instrument to you know to show off. He didn't yeah. want to show off as a bass player. He was there to be the singer and hold the group the together. Because yeah, if you listen to Carl Palmer, they're, they're now talking about Carl Palmer, it's funny because I just showed last a video of Carl Palmer playing his snare yeah, solo. If you go on YouTube, we're going to put the link there. We'll put the link in the show yeah, notes. It's yeah, Carl yeah. Palmer, the solo. That's the name of it. Okay. And it's him and his snare, and it's two minutes and a half, and it's like it, it, it's going to blow your mind how technical that man was and how much you can do with just a snare the rhythms you can vary the way you're playing it I won't spoil it because he does some crazy stuff it's one handed stuff stick tricks so we talked about the classical influence now talking about uh, Carl Palmer he clearly has like uh, you know loads of influence of marching bands and rudimental drumming because you can tell he can Can explain rudimental drumming for us well basically most drum techniques come from one instrument because drums obviously uh, as a plural is loads of instruments yeah. so it's a combination of instruments a combination of drums and cymbals the most important of those drums is this snare drum which is common uh, you, you can find in classical music and marching bands and uh, the rudiments they all come from this snare they're all combinations of stickings of you know you know right left right right left left whatever combinations you do those are the rudiments so he was really good with rudimental drumming yeah. he could just you know be as musical as you can possibly be with just his nair in front yeah. of him and obviously when he had the whole kit applying to to the whole kit he had all the tools he needed to do that in a, in a musical way and played really fast when needed like the interesting thing about him, just like uh, 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 it makes me think why they wanted Mitch Mitchell as a drummer because their style is fairly similar. They they do understand a lot about jazz. Yeah. Also, just mentioning this, uh, uh, Carl Palmer was really good with brushes, which are those you know quieter sticks. Literally, they're brushes. They don't sound like like uh, drumsticks, and they're very common in jazz and country. He was really good with them. You can hear a lot of that in the first album. But the reason why they would want someone like Mitch Mitchell or him is like they wanted that fifth walls of drummer mm. with, with probably jazz background. And if you compare them, if you compare Mitch Mitchell and Carl Palmer to the other drummers of the, the time, they were not into keeping the groove at all. Yeah. So that's, you know, he's always phrasing, always, instead of just keeping a simple beat, he's soloing all the time. Sounds like he's soloing. Yeah. So, yeah, and... To do that in a musical way and still uh, keep the music in- interesting is not easy. And Carl no, Palmer, no, one of the best yeah. drummers that have ever walked on earth. Well, just saying. That. So, so ELP, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, you can hear it in any of the songs. Um, ELP, like we said, they started in 1970. But here's the craziest thing: ELP uh, were literally an overnight sensation because they That's started. You didn't know this, right? Check this out. They formed in 1969, and then 1970, the first album was released. They prepared by doing a mix of classical stuff. So they were just going to cover a few of their favorite classical pieces and um, some jazz stuff as well. They were going to cover some Dave Brubeck. Um, They had a bunch of artists of classical music to cover, which I can't find right now. Um, But they knew what they wanted from this act straight away because after their first rehearsal, which was in Notting Hill... They went and spent £13,000 on synthesizers and mixing desks so that they could achieve the sound they wanted straight away. Now, this doesn't sound like a band who hang about. 
So the first gig they played was in Plymouth, um, which is actually just near Cornwall. Actually, we're pretty close to Plymouth yeah. today. Uh, on the 23rd of August, 1970, and they drove to a gig in a van that was owned by Yes, <laughs> which is a cool little fact. Um, <laughs> which were their rivals. Right? Their rivals, yeah. yeah. And they got paid £400 for it. Uh, but they purposely chose a small venue in case it all went wrong and that they were hated. The gig was a success, so I've read. But that's, okay, that's gig one, all right? How's this for gig two? The Isle of Wight Festival, 1970, to 600,000 people that attended over wow. the weekend. Wow. So I mean, from Plymouth, a small venue. When they say small, I'm assuming maybe 500 people, yeah. maybe a thousand people, maybe a couple of thousand. Nothing, then you go nothing in, even close to that. Yeah. Six hundred. Well, we say six hundred thousand people attended the whole weekend. Which, if you're talking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, let's assume two hundred and fifty thousand people saw them at the Isle of Wight Festival, but, and they loved it. The press went nuts for it because this was one of Rock's first supergroups. Right, because it were a combination of... Carl Palmer was yeah. in um, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown. Um, was uh, Arthur Brown was the biggest influence for Bruce Dixon. For oh, really? The there you yeah. go. Um, we'll put a Crazy World of Arthur Brown song on. Uh, Keith Emerson came from The Nice, and Greg Lake came from King Crimson. And funnily enough, this is what Emerson had to say about it. I think we upset a lot of people. It wasn't Crimson, it wasn't The Nice, and it wasn't Crazy World of Arthur Brown. We'd broken up three very special bands. And then Lake said about the Isle of Wight Festival, we went from being relatively unknown to globally known over the course of one weekend. <laughs> Insane. Brilliant. But again, an overnight success, probably a few years in the making, isn't it? Because Yeah. Because they they were already played with successful bands and well, that's why it's a super group, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. a super group. So it's it's not like they it, and maybe they got together in a in a certain point in their careers where they knew exactly what they wanted and they knew they had this. It sounds like they it. did, didn't they? Yeah. It sounds yeah. like they did because they all came together. I mean, here's what Carl Palmer said. I think a rock group doing classical adaptations was a fantastic idea, but we weren't there to educate, we were there to entertain. But in doing so, we actually did open up the doorway. Yeah. Well, when you're saying you're not, we're, we're there to entertain, and um, they the, the clothes that, that Keith Emerson would wear on stage, <laughs> yeah. like so flashy, and it's like I know, yeah, and colourful, and it's it's outrageous, really. Yeah. And it's like, why is he wearing that kind of stuff? But you know, he wanted to be a visual. Uh, uh, um, interesting event as well they were, you know the piano would go upside down you know the, the knives on the keys and all yeah. that stuff it's a big part of the show also Carl Palmer I mean he, he might have been one of the first drummers to use massive drum kits like loads of toms and cymbals all around do you know how much him. his kit cost? I don't know $25,000 and I actually read something Carl Palmer again this is the classical music influence I'm just stressing this sorry listeners I'm just stressing this because they are just so far more classically influenced than any other prog band I've heard. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure yes. I'm sure yes, and I'm sure Rush. I'm sure even modern prog like Dream Theater and Opeth. I'm sure they have classical music that they it's not that so they were influenced by, but it's not as evident as yes, ELP. Yes, you can hear on their music, you know. But yeah, you can hear it, but I still don't but it's feel so much it's more as predominant as ELP. Well, maker. because the main guy in the band, uh, Emerson Lincoln Palmer, is a keyboard player. Yeah. So that is, Carl that's Palmer him. said that he would study. So, so Emerson would send him his favorite um, pieces of music 
There is one, uh, for example, uh, Sinfonietta by Janacek and French Suite Number no. 1 in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach. These were some of Emerson's favourite pieces, and he would send these to Karl Palmer and Greg Lake. Karl Palmer would get the... Would, he would buy... He'd go to his local music shop and he'd buy the sheet music and listen to it. And if there was an instrument, a percussive instrument, that he heard that he didn't have in his set, he'd go out the next day and buy it, which is why his kit was so big, as you said. That's it. He so kept building so up, but that's what became. He had a rock kit. drum kit and a classical percussion kit. Here's an, here's an interesting fact about that, the, 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 the massive kit. So one of his drum kits was uh, not only big, but too heavy. I don't know what it was made of. Um and it was a nightmare to tour with that. So I said, I'm going to sell this one, you know, and, you know, start from scratch, get another okay. another kit. And he did an auction of that thing. And well, he said, I don't want to even be there. I just you know someone's going to buy it. I'm going to suffer because I don't have that kit anymore. And he got a phone call the day after the auction. Ringo Starr said, hey, mate, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I've bought your kit. <laughs> What's Ringo going to do with a kit like that? I don't know. We'll just keep it. <laughs> uh, and, 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 he, and he said, well, I'm, I'm happy that you got it because like, now he's in good hands. And oh, it's, incredible. He's with a Beatles. So That's so wholesome that. that Ringo yeah. boys get <laughs> yeah, amazing. Months, like, yeah. oh, anyway, right. Uh, let's just do a few little dates and stuff. So ELP, the album was released in 1970. A year later, they released the album Tarkus. Did that do anything for them, in your opinion? Well, I, I would say the first five albums. Okay, uh, so have that a is... very solid run. A very consistent style. So, so let me tell you, you got ELP in 1970, Tarkus in 1971, Pictures at an Exhibition in 1971. Little side note, that's a live album. They There's elements on it that they did they record. didn't write the music. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the label wouldn't release it. I want to talk it. a bit about that later. But okay. Yeah. They, 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 yeah you t- I'll, I'll save that then. So that's the third album. Trilogy in 1972 and Brain Salad Surgery in 1973. Those are the first five albums. Felipe's going to talk about them in a little bit. They then took a two-year break and came back in 1976 to record Works Volume 1 and Works Volume 2, which they released in 77. We'll stop there for now. Felipe, tell us about the first five albums. Yeah, so the first five albums. So the first one, uh, like, as I said, it starts with a heavy, distorted bass riff. And what what a I way think... to start your career. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like... And it's showing you, we don't have a guitar player. Okay, that's yeah. how we're going to do this. And uh, it's got... What is for me their best piece of music was "Take a Pebble." Oh, I think that's you lovely. You, you sent me that yesterday. Because that wonderful. song, there's there's something beautiful about that song. Uh, uh, I Greg, said if you take away the vocals, it could be a classical piece of music. It could, and if you just keep the vocals, it could be the most beautiful pop song ever. <laughs> uh, it's weird. <laughs> and shorten it a bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. But just the vocal parts yeah. altogether, they might not oh, be longer than three minutes. Mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, when you have you have that like beautiful, clean, technical vocal line. Uh, um, on top of a piano that is like playing as many notes as you can fit in one bar. Yeah. And it's insane that that piano doesn't sound aggressive. It doesn't sound like overplaying. It doesn't sound intrusive. No, you're no, right. No, it's yeah. just like so nice and so well played. The control they have of the, over the dynamics. It goes up and down. It gets louder, gets quieter. And then there's acoustic guitar at some point. And there's so many parts. And that album is a statement of their musicianship it's like we mm, can play yeah and again you got uh carl palmer playing brushes playing with sticks playing jazz country uh you know soloing all over the place and it's fantastic so what, what i think is brilliant about it they they have five long prog rock uh sometimes almost hard rock uh as much as you can be with our guitar and 
those songs are there. Five, yes, it was only five, and the last song is Lucky Man, yeah. which I think it was a was a, was a hit single. Lovely that one. And that's Greg Lake's one, right? That's Greg Lake. The thing about Lucky Man is that shows what they were capable of. Okay, we can we can shred. We can use the, the you know all the technique in the world, but we can also write a folk ballad to that, make you yeah, sing along with. That seemed that to be insane. the glue that made this band successful for me. They had the technique, they had the ability, they had the virtuosity. Is that a word? It is now. <laughs> they had the virtuosity. I'm going to say virtuosity. They had all those things, but they also had a phenomenal songwriter in the band, in Greg right. Lake. Yeah, and Greg Lake, maybe he was the one totally capable of leaving his ego behind and to write a simple song. The story, but I want to tell the story of that song before we move on. Okay. So I believe the story behind uh, uh, Lucky Man is is one of the, the most uh, uh, interesting things about their career. So they had those five long songs recorded for the album, and someone mentioned the album's a bit too short, guys. We need, like, one more song. And basically they look at each, each other, and so we don't have any more songs. So yeah. Greg Lake said, well, do you know what? I've got this nice little piece of folk music which I which I wrote when I was a teenager I just said well oh yeah he wrote it when he was 12 years old I think he was 12 yeah, or 14 no, I remember yeah. that in the thing and if you hear the lyrics it's, it's like a medieval tale isn't yeah. it and it's, it, it is what it is like a teenage guy writing a song you know about a hero about a, a guy who's really lucky whatever yeah. so he played the song and Keith Williams looked at him and said that's rubbish <laughs> I want really? to part on that. I'm not doing it. Oh my god! And he has, and and he, and that was it. Off to the pub. So he literally went to a pub, and Carl Palmer said, "You know, mate, let's do something." So Greg Lake went there, recorded the, the guitar, the acoustic guitar. Yeah. And Carl Palmer added the drums to it. So, well, sounds more like a song, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> so then he added the guitar solo, electric guitar solo, and the bass. They were like, wow, this, yeah, it's, it's building up. Feeling like a song, yeah. Keith Hermes got back from the pub and listened to the thing and said, wow, this is good. I might do something. You know, I might, if, I I might do Lake, if I was Greg Lake, I'd, I'd say, say no. No, <laughs> no you, you don't keep it. But luckily, his, they, they, they let him play good, and right, he used then. the Moog keyboards to, to do a weird, crazy, nonsensical solo at the end of this beautiful folk piece. Oh, okay. And it was still a hit with that how you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine that solo for such a beautiful you know uh, folk song. Yeah. And it is a big part of it now. You listen just like that, it's a crazy solo and, and the guy who created the keyboard, uh he he was he listened to the song on the radio, he was he, he went emotional about it, so oh, I've created the instrument to be played like that. Oh, and wow. finally someone understood my art. And they put into music, and it's there for everyone to oh, listen fantastic. to. So Keith Emerson, I mean, what a, what a, what a musician! But Incredible. yeah, so you, you go from that to Tarkus, uh, you have the same elements on the album. You have, uh, uh, you know, the, the musicianship. You have you have the uh, the extreme ability to play whatever they want to play, and playing long songs. One important thing to say about it is they would play everything live. There's not too many. I've mentioned yeah. the overdubs when you have acoustic guitars and electric, electric guitars, which are not the main element. Greg Lake would do those overdubs, but in general, they would just go there and finish a take, you know, yeah. and, and I, I that watched, would go straight to the album. Yesterday I was watching the, the documentary of them at the Isle of Wight Festival, and it was just staggering that they were playing everything perfectly. 
Yeah. I, just, I, I just listened to the oh, songs. They're flawless. Yeah, yeah. they are. And you think about it, you're recording with tape, so you, you don't want to waste a tape by yeah. doing mistakes. Not yeah, like exactly. nowadays, you can just delete and start yeah. again. Exactly, yeah. And so I, I want to say what they... So Tarkos, for me, is, is a natural uh, uh, continuation of what they did with uh, with the first album. But when they go to pictures at, at an exhibition, then that's a complete different beast mm. because what they did there was like we're going to actually play classical music as a rock band not something that resembles classical music yeah. so they got this uh, classical Russian composer Musovsk I can't pronounce his okay. name not going to even attempt I tried okay failed <laughs> whoever, whoever this guy is we'll put him in the playlist yeah, no, it, uh, it's just like I can't pronounce I'm, I'm terrible with Russian my Russian is not that good uh, but so uh, basically, Keith Emerson has been to one of his gigs, and oh, not one of his gigs. <laughs> he has been to a concert, not the guys' gigs guys from the the eighteenth, yeah, uh, whatever, um, eighteen seventeen or something. When he did that, he's been to a concert where his music was played, and and he bought the music score, and he thought, you know what, this is beautiful. I want to do this one day, but I want to do it as a rock band, and. By the time they finished Tarkos, it was like, no, I think now's the time. We can do this. People respect us. Let's go and do it. Mm. So, so the they, label rejected it. They the didn't label like didn't it. like it. And they recorded live in the yeah. theater. The label didn't like it. They re-recorded it at Newcastle City Hall. Oh, really? Yeah. So the final version is the one from Newcastle City Hall. But the Musicians' Union, uh, were, they were really concerned about Keith Emerson stabbing the local organ <laughs> that they had at the music in the City Hall. <laughs> And they made him sign a contract saying you're not going to stab the <laughs> Which they didn't. Did he so. sign a false name? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, brilliant. Um, is that, I mean, Trilogy and Brain Salad Surgery, anything to say on them? Or is it just a continuation of what they've been doing? For I think the song uh, in the beginning uh, from Trilogy is one I recommend everyone to listen to. What's that one? Uh, Trilogy in the beginning. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant at the beginning of the album. No, no. So the song. song is called In the Beginning, yeah, so we'll put yeah. that on the thing. Yeah. Interestingly. It's, it's, um, one, it's one of the, uh, again, you have like beautiful vocals and the same elements. I, I, as I said to you, I think it's all very consistent. Yeah. And uh, I just want to, again, recommend a song from uh, Brain Salad Surgery. I mean, Jerusalem is, is, is a fantastic piece of music, but I want to recommend uh, Still You Turn Me On, which has the same... Uh, for me, the same impact as Lucky Man because it's an acoustic okay. song, acoustic song with a guitar. If if I'm not wrong, there's a wah wah pedal uh, and a guitar riff that that happens uh, at the end of the chorus. But it's it's again beautiful ballad, acoustic yeah. ballad. And Greg Lake used to play those two songs one after the other on a gig. So Lucky Man. Well, we'll put these we'll put these all in the playlist for you guys to hear. Um, interestingly, so. The, the the two albums they released in seventy seven works volume one and works volume two, it was essentially a double album. Yeah. And what they did is each member got a side. So one side of the vinyl was all of Emerson's songs. The second side oh, of the vinyl yeah. was all of Lake's songs. The third side of the vinyl was all Palmer's songs, and the fourth side of the vinyl was something they'd worked on together. So I think that's quite nice because that really. I mean, we spoke with Credence where they were they were fighting for. Uh, the other band members to have some songwriting stuff. It's usually disastrous, in. isn't it? It is, but it seems to have worked here because the works yeah. was critically acclaimed pretty well. It was, yeah. It's, uh, probably if you, you you mentioned Credence doing that and not kind of, kind of working really well. Didn't work out uh, at all. Yeah. Pink Floyd did that as well. Yeah, oh, that didn't work out well. It's it's kind of yeah. 
you know, some good... Something's com- missing. Yes, yeah. there's some good compositions there, but it just doesn't sound like a band. So, yeah. but, but The Works is a complete different thing, mm. isn't it? it That's works. worth a listen to. The Works to. works. Uh, yeah, The Works works. Now, the, the album that came out after that would turn out to be their final album of... Um, of that first period in their career, because as we'll go on to say, they did split up and get back together again. Love Beach, released in 1978, was a failure. But the reason it was is if because... If you look at the album cover, God. Really? It's it's the NBA it? Oh, God. They look so 80s. They, 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 they dismissed it as a band. As a band, they have said, we don't want to take ownership of that album. They only did it because they had contractually one album left to record on their record deal. So they had to release it. So they had to do an album and they just put anything together and they said, I release this. Um, so I got down vinyl. Yeah, have you? Is it any good? No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, oh God, so after that, I mean, maybe if, if the album's as bad as you said, it explains why they broke up in 1979. <laughs> um, they did often have disputes, mainly Emerson and Lake, about the songwriting and the direction they'd want their songs to go in. Um, they didn't always see eye to eye. But they got back together in 1991. They released two more albums, which was Black Moon in 1992 and In the Hot Seat in 1994. Um, then they did a few years of touring, and I know they did a big tour in 1996 where they went to Europe, Japan, Asia, the USA, South America as well. They did a huge tour, um, but again, because of creative differences, they did break up again in 1998. And then in 2010, they got together for what would be the final time to do a massive worldwide tour, and they played at High Voltage Festival in London. I can't remember which park it was at. It wasn't Hyde Park. I don't remember, but they played a because it was the 40th anniversary. 2010 yeah. was 40 years since the LP got together, and that that would turn out to be their final ever UK show. Um, critics said it was amazing; the audiences loved it, and ELP was no more after that. Yeah, and then you know Keith Emerson died, and Greg Greg Lake died, and obviously, so it's a band that you know uh, left his left their legacy and it's never going to be a band again yeah exactly gone but well a few quotes of what people have had to say for it i mean i've got one good quote that i found (laughs) which is from rolling stone who said elp turned prog from a black light in the basement listening experience to a stadium filling phenomenon which i wholeheartedly agree with well, it's impressive, isn't it? I know, yeah. I know, it was the seventies and people were into crazy stuff. But the length of those songs and the craziness and the the improvisation and, and the to keep an audience's attention to be for a, a song that's twelve minutes band. long, stadium bands are right. Yeah. You know, prog bands are not stadium bands. And it, forget the music. The fact that they were able to do that and provide the fans with what they want is something incredible in itself, isn't yeah. it? Uh, now, unfortunately, there are some negative reviews. It's quite often with prog bands; they do get negative reviews. They exaggerate, don't they? <laughs> yeah. So, some I don't. This is a, this is apparently there's no author to this quote. It's just a seventies joke. How do you spell pretentious? <laughs> ELP. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. But you is, can't attribute that quote to anyone. It's a joke. Is it a pretentious? Um, famous uh, music critic Robert Christgau said, These guys are as stupid as their most pretentious fans, the world's most overweening progressive group. Weaning might be the, the, the parent-friendly word for what we call wanky. Um, so, I mean, Robert just thinks, obviously, they just play too many notes. And he goes on to say... Oh, no, hold on. This is uh, John Kelman from All About Jazz who would say... 
They have an overbearing sense of self-importance, and it turned ELP from one of the 1970s most exciting new groups into the definition of masturbatory excess and self-aggrandizement in only a few short years. People don't like long songs with loads of notes on. There's a place for it, and I think ELP mastered how to do it well. The critics don't agree, but well, I would we're say the fans. I, what, I, our opinion matters more than the critics. Exactly. And if when the album sell that well, I mean, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a uh, success sorry, regardless 40, of what people say. Where is it? I'm just looking for my notes. 48 million albums sold worldwide. Nine albums went to gold. God, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a success. That's a Prague band. It's, it's a success. You yeah. can't call it anything else than that. Well, is, there, is there... Right, I think that's a good place to... Yeah, that's a good show. Yeah, it is. Would you want to give us your final statement and thoughts on ELP? Uh, what I would say, I mean, regarding their whole career is prog music is essentially over the top. And they've yeah. managed to be on the edge of what that means. You know, yeah. they are over the top, close to, to the point of collapse, which is what happens. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why it was so hard for them to, to stay together as a band. Yeah. They had to break up so many times. Well, the reason that they found it so hard in the end is because due to financial restrictions, they were told that, listen, for the next album, you've got to take it down. We can't yeah, be hiring yeah. orchestras for all this. <laughs> exactly. So they, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. you, you are actually literally correct. The music was so over the top that actually they said, sorry, we can't afford this for the next album. Exactly. And that was the start of their collapse. It, so I, I think, um, to quote Spinal Tap here, good rock and roll should hurt. It should affect your life, but not necessarily not for, for the, the better. better. <laughs> and, and that's ELP. That's it does Fantastic. change your life. That's a good summary. So, for, me, I mean, for me, ELP, again, please remember... As a new I've, band for you. As a new band, as a new band. And I'm... Listen, prog rock, prog metal is not the music genre I've listened to the most. There's a lot of prog rock and metal bands that I really do like. Opeth are one of them. I really enjoy Dream Theater. Yes and Rush have done it for me as well. Here's what I have to say about it. Prog music can be wanky. We know this. But ELP found that lovely balance because they played the music they wanted, the classical stuff, the way they wanted to in a rock environment. And I think it produced the best results. And then to add to that, the brilliance of Greg Lake's songwriting means that it stops just being, let's play as many notes as we can and let's put a structure towards this. Let's structure these so that it comes out as a long song and not a series of notes to show how good we are. And despite all the soloing, all the notes, all the complexity, you've got one of the most beautiful voices in rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, Greg Lake, yeah. Which is a, incredible. in itself is a reason for you yeah. to listen to them. I'd like to leave and end this with a quote that for me sums up ELP, and this is by music critic Sean Murphy. He says this, Here are three words that strike fear into the hearts of all those allergic to prog rock. Emerson, Lake, Palmer. Popular enough to have several songs still in the regular FM rotation, obscure enough to be forever relegated as one of those bands from a certain time and place, like the 70s. Ambitious enough to attempt things few, if any other bands did, for better or for worse. Pretentious enough to to earn the full-throated derision of holier-than-thou tastemakers. And album art awful enough to ensure they will never be forgotten. (laughs) <laughs> isn't that lovely brilliant. I think everything everything you said there is true and it's like you said they were on the they did go over the top they did almost push things too far but the songwriting brought it in yeah 
their humbleness brought it in, them as guys brought it in, yeah. and you're left with one of the most important prog rock bands in the history of music. There you go. Yeah, excellent. Well said. Well, thank you very much, guys, for joining us for another episode. Um, hope you've had a good time. As usual, please follow on our socials and give us a like, a subscribe, a share. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Long Live RNR Pod, and we are on Facebook and YouTube. If you search the Long Live Rock and Roll Podcast, Apple Podcast listeners, we'd really appreciate if you gave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app because it helps with the algorithms and the listings, and it moves us up further yeah. on the charts. Please follow us, and if we reach seven billion followers, I'm going to shave my head. Just say. is that not incentive enough? There we go. Thank you very much, guys. (laughs) And keep on rocking, everyone. And as usual, long live rock and roll.